0: In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue with uh, Daniel chapter nine, and as we mentioned, Daniel, the book of Daniel is two parts. The first part, the first, the first six chapters, is a lot of stories, a lot of history, from chapter seven till the end, is a lot of visions and a lot of prophecies. And chapter nine is known for a very famous prophecy. Um, that some of it, as I mentioned last time, was fulfilled. Some will, be fu- some will be fulfilled. So what's happening is, if you guys remember last time, Daniel was in the exile, and now he's almost at the end of his life. And he remembered as he was reading Jeremiah the prophet, that God said the, f- the exile for the people in Babylon or Persia, whatever they are in at this point, it will be for about 70 years. So now the time of the end of the years is approaching. So he, is, he decided to uh, spend some time with God. So he fasted, he repented, he prayed, and he, he humiliated himself and humbled himself in front of God. And he started praying just for one reason, because he is concerned with the people of Israel. He's asking God, the 70 years are almost over. And I don't see any encouraging signs what's going to happen are we going to go back or not and last time we started seeing part of his prayer when he stood in front of god and he told him we have sinned we have disobeyed you we have rebelled against you and you are just in everything you're doing and we saw that uh, daniel did not make his request known to god even until now today we're going to start verse 13 he has not made his request main, made known to us like sometimes when we enter prayer we're very quick for us to ask from god we don't spend enough time talking about who god is because when we talk about who god is we unite with god and our thoughts and our words our words become different that's why for example in the liturgy we don't pray the litanies until we pray the reconciliation prayer and the anaphora and all and we finish all that we come after we finish all this stuff we start kind of saying okay god please be with the church be with the pope be with the deacons be with the priests and so on here he's continuing and he's telling god that that yes we disobeyed you and your words were true and you have given these in the commandments that you have given to moses uh, about that if we disobey you you will allow other nations to take us into exile so verse 13 he says as it's written in the law of moses all this disaster has come upon us, yet have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand our truth." So he's telling God as he's repenting, he's telling God, look, all the promises, all the curses that you have put in the Bible came true upon us. Your words were true. And we suffered the consequences of our sins. And if you take this in a spiritual sense, what's happening to Jerusalem, it's broken. It's guilty. There's no peace. There's no even existence at this point of an actual political community in this place or religious community in this place. And this is sometimes what happens when we stray away from God. We start seeing the consequence of our sin. The lack of peace, the brokenness, the guilt. But see here what he told God. He told him... When we started seeing the beginning of our sins and the beginning of your punishment toward us, we did not hurry to repent. We waited. It's extremely important to understand the urgency of repentance. The urgency of repentance. For some reason, repentance, we always put it on the back burner. And we don't realize if I don't repent constantly, the purity of heart will be affected and my heart will be hardened. And my constant desire to repent and to get close to God will get weakened. If I told them it's not only we did not repent, but when we sent, you sent us signs to repent, you sent us people to call us to repentance, we've waited. Therefore the Lord has kept this disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his work which he does. Though we have not obeyed his voice. So he's telling them, God you have kept this disaster. So God says, you know, if you disobey me, I will bring this disaster upon you. Babylon will come take take over. He says God waited, kept waiting, waiting until something happens. And you guys remember last time I told you, Assyria took over Israel. And Judah, the small country which had Jerusalem in it, they saw what happened to Israel. And they still did not repent. So God waited, waited, waited until the judgment happened. There is a demand for God's justice to fulfill His words. If God does not fulfill His words, we have a problem. So he's telling him the exile that we have received was well deserved. We deserve to be exiled. I deserve where I am. And by the way, one of the things that we have to be careful about when people get a sense of entitlement when they speak with God. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't deserve this. Why is God doing this to me? And it's a sense of entitlement. What do I earn? If my intelligence, my health, my family, everything I have is from God. What have I earned? You know guys, I want to tell you something important. There is a difference between when the people of Israel were in Egypt, slaves for 400 years, and what happened in Babylon. Why? When they were slaves in Egypt, it was not because of their sin. The Egyptians kept them and over time they thought they were, they were becoming dangerous so they started overpowering them. And that's why at the end of the, of the Exodus what happened? We saw the 10 plagues, we saw the Passover, we saw the, the epic of the Old Testament. The glory of God in the Old Testament. God speaks in clouds and light. And it's just wonderful. God took care of them for 40 years in the desert. Clothes, food, everything they needed. It was there. It was something beyond imagination. Now, when they are in Babylon, it's different. They got to this point because of their sin. There's a difference when I have a lung cancer, because God allowed it, difference when I have it because consequence of me smoking. And that's why God gave the people of Israel the covenant. He gave them the covenant in Sinai, because they were enslaved unjustly. When our Lord Jesus Christ wanted to talk about His resurrection. Baptism. he always talks about the past, and the, the exiles from Egypt. Now it's different. It's because of the consequence of our sins. And now, O oh Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. You know, he's telling him now, O oh Lord, as if he's almost going to make his request. And then he kind of, you know, said, no, no, I need to... I need to talk, about, to, talk, to talk to God a little bit more. He told him, now, O oh Lord, but you, you brought us from Egypt. You made promises. You made covenant. He's telling him, when you brought us out of Egypt, we had no role in the exit from Egypt. You have found Moses. You have done the ten plagues. You have spread the sea. You have taken care of us. We have done nothing. We were watching. We're reminding God of his work in our life. The worst thing, honestly, is to have an an unthankful Christian. Unthankful Christian. Our Lord said in Isaiah, What could I do to my vineyard and I have not done it? O oh Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray. Hereby, he's making his request. Let your anger and fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are reproached to all those around us. He's telling him, God, we have sins. and the last verse, we committed wickedly. He's telling him, O oh Lord, you know, It's enough. You think don't you think it's enough like Jerusalem have received its punishment of sin? He's not telling him it's enough because they earn it. He's telling him it's enough because of your righteousness. Because God, you are righteous. This is your city. This is your holy hill, Mount Zion. This is where the city of Jerusalem was built on and the palace of the king was built on. And this is similar for us. When I stand in front of God, I could tell God, God, look, this sin have brought me to the ground. Do you like to see your son so weak? You like to see your daughter so weak? This is your holy mountain. This is your Jerusalem. Would you leave me destroyed by the devil? I deserve punishment yes but i'm crying out for your salvation be careful because daniel here is not concerned about jerusalem as a physical place because he's about to die he's almost 80 years old he's concerned about the covenant with god there's a covenant that we made with god and that covenant will make us become heirs of his kingdom. If God breaks his covenant, this becomes a problem. Everything that Daniel is asking for, he's asking according to the will of God. You know, I'll tell you guys something. I was thinking about this the other day. When, when is it that we have a prayer meeting where we get everybody together and let's have a prayer meeting? When there is, for example, somebody sick, there is a curriculum that you know, we don't like, something like that, we get people to pray. What is Daniel praying about? He's praying about something that God has already revealed to Jeremiah. You know, it's almost like we have a, a strong prayer meeting and everybody's coming, so God may allow us all to enter the kingdom. Or God may allow us to receive His Holy Spirit. Things that God already said. But he understood the importance of the promises of God. And to obtain them, he humbled himself in front of God. Look at verse 17, it's beautiful. It says, Now therefore, our our God hear the prayer of your servants and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate. Daniel is standing in front of God saying, hey, Lord, please hear. Hear my prayer. I don't deserve that you hear my voice. My voice is ugly. And you have many righteous people who pray in front of you. But please, Lord, hear my request. Hear my prayer. Look at me with favor look at me as you have looked at at the saints. And when he's telling God, please build the Jerusalem, he's telling him, build Jerusalem for what? For God's sake, not for my sake. You know, guys, in the liturgy, what do we pray? We tell him, lead us to your kingdom so your name be glorified. The only way I could petition God is for his sake. Because I cannot I have I cannot use anything of my own. Daniel was a righteous man. And he was faithful. And we saw in his life how faithful he is. He did not say God for my sake. He did not say for my sake. And he's telling him, cause your face to shine upon us. Just look at us. Just look at me. All what I want is just one look from you. That's all what I need. It's worth more than the heaven and earth. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and, and see our desolation. And the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deed, but because of your great mercy. Here, Daniel is drawing an image as if God kind of was not listening and all of a sudden he's telling him, God, God, please kind of get your ear closer to us. As if God, as if Daniel telling God, I know we don't want to hear from us because we have been rebellious. But please just bring your ear closer as if he's telling God, God, look, I I know we don't want to look at our sin we're very like, the way we live doesn't please you, just one look see, this is the humility that receives the mercies of God this is the humility that receives, he's telling God, look our city is desolate I'm, I'm in need the only, the only ways I can ask God is I've told him I'm in need I have no excuse because of who you are that's my only excuse, it's nothing else I have no other excuses and he's telling him because of the abundance of your mercy by the way, sometime when you look at Daniel's prayer, you might feel uh, as if God is is, is, is uh, is a hard God. He's not merciful God. But this is a prayer coming out of a humble heart. We'll see the response of God later to Daniel's prayer. I just want you to see how somebody, a holy person, prays. These are not fake words he's saying because he just want to look good. These are words he feels and he realizes. He's telling God, God, because of your mercy. Abundant mercy. I remember... I'm not sure if I told you the story or not, but uh, there is a story, some people say it's attributed to Alexander the Great, where a mother went to him and told him, "Please have mercy on my son." Her son apparently committed a crime. For he told her, "Your son does not deserve mercy." For she answered and told him, "It would not be mercy if he deserves it. It would not be mercy if he deserves it and then Alexander the Great liked her answer so he released her son I stand in front of God and I don't feel I deserve it and I know I don't deserve it the image of Daniel praying for some reason reminded me of Jesus praying in Gethsemane obviously with the difference a righteous man all that he's concerned about is the salvation of others I pray that one day, all of us, one day, we will be consumed wholly and fully with the salvations of others. In every thought and every prayer, I am concerned with the word of God all over the world, more than my own self. I pray that one day, all what we care about is everybody become spiritual and close to God. Where I don't feel I'm competing with my friend in a spiritual sense. Verse 19, he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people I called by your name. God. He's pleading with him, God, please listen. Please forgive. Please hear. Please act. He's not only praying, but he's asking for a quick action. What is he telling God? He's telling God, look, every day Jerusalem is in ruins and the Jewish people are in exile. It is a humiliation to your name. It is an insult to the name of God. But what you will notice here is that Daniel is not asking for God to act in a specific way. He's not telling him I want you to do this. He does not even feel that he's worthy. But all that he's doing he's putting all his requests in the hands of God. There's no servant without a sin and no master without the forgiveness. Daniel keeps reminding God God this is your city. This is your church. I am your child. I am your son. I am your daughter. This is your heart. This is the place where you need to dwell. He keeps reminding God. He knows what moves the heart of God. Now look at the response from heaven to the prayer of Daniel. Such a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Now, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God I want to stop here because there's an idea that's extremely important look when Daniel is saying when I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel one of the worst things that sometimes I see happening is that people try to distance themselves from the people in the church When somebody comes to church and says the church is not inclusive or it's not nice or whatever it is, well, we all are part of the church. We all need to offer repentance on this. We all need to change. Distancing distancing myself from people who are being blamed for something and I'm part of that community has not been the Christian approach. The Christian approach is repenting on behalf of the community. Repenting on behalf of the community. We'll see here in, um, in this verse here is Daniel Kedah. He says, as, 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 as I was praying, confessing my sins, speaking to God about the people of Israel, supplicating before God, we see that he is truly one of the greatest saints in the Old Testament. And he did not stand in front of God for one second and told God, God, I have kept my heart pure. Continued to feel his how sinful he is. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said one time. He says, those who need repentance the least are the ones who know how to repent the most those who need repentance the least are the ones who know how to repent the most look at what Gabriel told him, look at the response from heaven yes, while I was speaking a prayer while he was praying the man Gabriel, this is the archangel whom I have seen in the vision at the beginning, last vision being caused to fly swiftly, reach me about the time of evening offering. Obviously, Gabriel is called man. We have seen many angels appear to human beings in the form of men. You guys remember this in the resurrection? They said two men wearing white when they appeared to Abraham. It's very common in the Old Testament when, when, when an angel, old or new, can take a shape of a man wearing white. So here he says... I've seen Gabriel. He sees Gabriel all the time. We've seen him in a few visions before. And Gabriel, Gabriel, by the way, means the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. And he is the angel of divine communication. He is the one who has been preaching to Mary, to Zechariah, to John, uh, the Baptist. All of them, uh, uh, Gabriel has been the key communicator to them. Gabriel came and touched Daniel and coming to him quickly. Daniel, obviously, is 80 years old. He's exhausted from fasting and he's so tired. It's the evening sacrifice period. He's in Babylon, so they are not offering physical sacrifice. But he still offers his prayer and he still times himself around the sacrifice of, of Jerusalem. So that's around 3 to 4 p.m. So most likely he abstained from food until the 3 4 p.m. Okay? And this is this is this was very common at this time. I'll tell you guys something. I was thinking as I was reading this, when we were in the COVID time. Once the church closed, we used to stream liturgies from home. I remember the first week or two or three weeks, maybe month, a lot of people took praying the liturgy from home seriously. They woke up early. They, some people wore their tonias, Some people stood to pray the liturgy. They said, this is our Sunday. We will continue to keep it. After a month or two, what happened? Eh, things died. Died down. And people kind of stopped waking up early. Uh, and if they wake up early, they just watch the, the liturgy. And if they watch the liturgy, they just skip through the sermons, maybe an announcement at the end. Daniel, for 70 years... 70 years continues to be faithful in the midst of people in the palace, partying, drinking, women, uh, his own people are doing whatever they are doing. He continues to be faithful and he's abstaining from food and he's doing things beyond the norm. He told him, and he informed me, Gabriel informed Daniel, and talked with him, and he said, O oh, Daniel, I have come now forth to give you skill to understand. So Gabriel came to Daniel and told him, No, now I'm going to ex- explain to you some of the visions and some of the questions you had. And obviously this shows the relationship between us, humans, and the angels. When you are faithful as Daniel, heaven is open. Heaven is open. I remember I was meeting somebody yesterday and he was telling me uh, some people from um, I think the Antiochian Church were visiting some of the monasteries in Egypt and they told them we don't see the difference between heaven and earth in some of these monasteries. We don't see the difference between heaven and earth in some of these monasteries. You guys see all the saints, you see the heaven open all the time. We don't see the difference. Look what Gabriel told Daniel. This verse is significant. told him, At the beginning of your supplication, just once you started to pray, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. When Daniel just started to pray, God told Gabriel, Go, run. Daniel is praying. He's humbling himself. He's crying. He's in tears. He's fasting. I cannot take seeing my son, my beloved Daniel in this way. His prayer touched the throne of God. His prayer reached the throne of God how many liturgies do i pray and i attend and i come out and out of the two hours i might have spoken only 10 minutes with god and i'm in the liturgy daniel is by himself and god the, the gabriel tells him what he tells him for you are greatly loved how amazing it is when the heaven looks at you and tells you you are so loved you are special when Daniel prays it's not like anybody else praying he's telling him you're highly esteemed don't underestimate your prayer from the moment you got up to pray the heaven started to move Guys remember in the Tazbah What do we call St. Mary? We call her the grace of Daniel The grace of Daniel the prophet Because Daniel the prophet Received special grace When they call him the extremely loved It's the same word that they have used for In Ezra 8.27 They've used it for treasure gold and because St. Jerome said because Daniel is greatly loved he is worthy to be to see the divine secret the divine secrets are revealed to him I'll tell you guys something if I feel or you feel or you know that heaven hears you and your prayer is effective. And the throne of God waits for it. How different our prayers would be. Now, the the angel is going to start to explain to Daniel more than the question that Daniel asked. Daniel asked when are the people of Israel going back to Jerusalem? But the, Daniel, Daniel is, the, the angel is going to tell him I'm, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to tell you more news than you expect. I'm going to tell you when the first coming of the Messiah will be what will happen to the Messiah what will happen after the Messiah and I will tell you what will happen in the second coming. And not only that I will give you the exact timing of when All this will happen. Daniel is the only prophet in the Old Testament that have received the timing of the prophecies. Everybody in the Old Testament have have received prophecies about the coming of Christ, have received prophecies about uh, Jesus being crucified, being born, entering Jerusalem, all this stuff. But he's the only one that received prophecies about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with the date, with the time. Now we will go through what is what we call the 70-week prophecy. These four or five ch- verses that we're going to read are some of the most controversial verses in way of how people interpret them. Because some events have happened, some have not happened. These are some of the most difficult texts to interpret. We'll try to go through them slowly, explain them slowly. So you can understand the timing and what the prophecies are going. Let me first of all give you an overall understanding of the prophecy. So when we go through it, it's clear. Gabriel is going to come to Daniel. And he's going to tell him that God has taken a chunk of time out of history of humanity this time is special is unique and this time is about 409 years and we'll explain them as we go through and this time is divided into three different sections okay the first sections is 49 years or what we call them the se- the first seven sevens and I'm gonna explain to you what does that mean so 49 years is the first part This is the the time that will take from the decree to go to build Jerusalem until Jerusalem is built and the people are back. And then there's another period from the time of Jerusalem is built until the first coming of the Messiah. And he's going to tell him what's happening at this this time. And then he's grouping these two two parts together. And then there's a gap. But then he tells him there's a week at the very end where... The Antichrist will come. Okay? So these are three different periods he talks about. Two that are back to each, next to each other. I'm going to explain to you how. And then one that is by itself. He doesn't only, by the way, this prophecy doesn't only tell him that only the amount of years, and it doesn't only tell him that Christ is going to come. It tells him that Christ is going to come, he's going to die, and Jerusalem will be destroyed again. This is a very unique prophecy as we read it. This is, by the way, a miracle in itself. The, the Old Testament is there from before Christ and this prophesies exactly about the coming of Christ. So, let's kind of go through this um, a little bit in, in more details. From verse 24, he's telling him, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. One of the key words I want you to understand is the word weeks. Okay, because this this is this is the key word here. The word weeks actually refers to the number seven in Hebrew, and usually comes with it a period of time so for example you will say uh, 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 you will say for example sevens so when you say a week means seven seven something seven days seven weeks seven years whatever it is okay so it's almost like in hebrew the word day the word day or the word yom means a period of time and how do you know the period of time that he's talking about you understand it from the context so here he's telling him seventy sevens this is the way it is. It's not 70 weeks, 77s. So what does that sevens mean? Is it seven weeks? Is it seven years? Is it seven days? This is the key part to understand this prophecy. How do we know? Is it seven weeks, seven days, seven years? Don't look at the 70 weeks here because the translation should be say 77. So it could be days, it could be months, it could be years. How would you know? The first, way, the first way you do it, you know it from the context of the writing. Okay? The second thing that the Jewish ear is very familiar with seven years. What happens every seven year? There's uh, there is a sabbatical year where you allow the slaves to rest and to to uh, allow the re- the slave to be freed. Okay? To allow the the slaves to be freed. And if you look in Second Chronicles 36, 21, it's one of the results of the seventh year Babylonian captivity, was that the land was allowed to rest. So when they took the people, uh, why is this important? The people of Israel, they stopped following the commandments of God. One of the commandments was to allow the land to, to rest for 70 years. So God took them in captivity for how many? 70 years, almost to force out the commandment of rest in the ground for 70, for 70 years. Okay? So here, the word seven is interpreted to be seven, sorry, the word weeks is interpreted to be seven years okay so if you look at the number here it says 70 instead of weeks we'll say 70 times seven years okay this is how it's explained are you guys following so far yes so 70 times seven is 490 years so saying there are 490 years that God has cut out or cut out of time from the remainder of history for a specific purpose okay and this time a set up set apart for the people of god and the holy city obviously this is this is important to understand that this prophecy works a lot with the jewish nation and you will see why this is important because after the jewish nation was destroyed it was formed back again in 1948 so we'll go through this part at the end so why is this period of time this 490 years are taking out of time he's saying here for six reasons To finish transgression, it means to end the sin. So humanity transgressed against God. And even our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified and he gave us grace, but we continue to sin. So when is the sin will end? At the second coming. So that this prophecy, the 70, the 490 years, these are not only for the coming until Israel goes back to Jerusalem. The first coming of Christ. It's also about the second coming of Christ. These are unique 490 years. Cut out of history. Okay? Cut out of history. Let me give you guys an example. If we, we look now at our life as Christian. Are we waiting for any salvific event to happen in our life anymore? No. The only event we're waiting for is the second coming. So all what we're living right now is a period of... The kingdom of heaven on earth until the second coming comes and god opens for us people in the old testament are they waiting for a salvific events yes they're waiting for the messiah to come okay so this is a time that's cut out to put an end to sin which is revolting against god to atone for wickedness it means to cover our sins you guys know in the old testament when they used to offer sacrifice they would take blood and sprinkle it over the mercy seat in the temple depicting that the sin of the people was forgiven because it was covered by the blood. You'll see this in Leviticus 16. So he's saying that the sins will be covered. People who are guilty because of their wickedness, their sins will be covered in the blood of Christ. And and this is how sin will end, how sin will be completed. The blood of God opened for us the path. To bring everlasting righteousness, this is signifies the kingdom of heaven. To seal up the vision and prophecy, once we the second coming comes, there is no more prophecy, there is no more, we're, gonna have to, we're already in heaven. And then to anoint the most holy one, this is to become now the dedicated church, the body of Christ. Now therefore, sorry, know therefore and understand that from the beginning, from the the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem and tell the Messiah the Prince there shall be 7 weeks and 62 weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in the trouble sometimes what is he telling him? he's telling him for the time that the going of the command to restore Jerusalem the decree we'll go through this in more details that came out to restore Jerusalem until the time of the coming of the anointed one is how many he's telling him seven weeks and 62 weeks seven weeks multiply seven times seven which is 49 years and then 62 times seven is 343 years you're talking about a total of 483 years from the decree that will come out to people of israel to go back until the coming of the messiah when did the decree come out The decree they're most likely talking about is the decree that came from Cyrus, which was issued around 530 B.C., 535 B.C. to build the temple. And it allowed the exiles to go back to Palestinian and to build the temple. Okay? So he's telling him 49 years from that decree, Jerusalem will be restored. You know what's interesting? is that there were different levels of building back Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was the first one who returned to Jerusalem with a captive, but he did not build anything. Ezra came to build the temple. And if you see the story of Ezra, it's a big one. And you see how it was renewed and the work was stopped. And then the Hamaya came to build the walls. This here prophecy is telling him from the decree that comes to build Jerusalem. It's very specific. Not from a zero Bible return, it's from the time of Israel. So and it was about forty-nine years from the decree until people went back to Israel. Now the second period is telling him about four thirty-four years until the Messiah comes and be cut off. So from the time that Jerusalem will be built until Jesus will come is about four hundred and thirty-four years. The anointed Messiah. And Jesus is called the Anointed One. In Zechariah 6.13, in the Psalms one ten and 4, in Matthew 27.11, in Hebrews, Jesus called the anointed one in the Old and the New Testament. So he's telling him, this is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to take you about 49 years for the Israelites to come back, and then by the time the Messiah comes, you have to add about uh, uh, 4.38 years, and then it will come to be between Roughly between 28 to 30 BC. This is the the coming, uh, the coming of the Messiah. Sorry, uh, uh, yeah, 30 uh, uh, after Christ. The timing that he gave him was so right on. From the decree to build Jerusalem until the time of the of the Messiah coming, uh, sorry, in the, in the, until, until the Jerusalem was built was 49 years, and then you add 434 years until our Lord Jesus Christ came. He's telling him when God comes, when the Messiah comes, two events will happen. The anointed one would be cut off. And this is the same expression that Isaiah used in 53.8. And he's telling him having nothing. He's cut off, and he's having nothing. As it seemed like, as or have nothing. As it seems like his service seemed to be unfruitful. Once he died, it seemed like he had nothing. Okay. And he's telling him that the end. Look here. Uh, just, just so he's saying the Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself oh sorry I skipped the verse in verse 26 it says and after 62 weeks after those 62 weeks when the Messiah come the Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of a war of the war desolation are determined he's telling him when the Messiah will come he will be cut off not for himself, he's cut off for people, died for us. And the people of the prince who is to come, which is the people of the Roman Empire, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after Christ will be cut off, what's going to happen? Jerusalem will be destroyed again. And the end of it shall be with a flood. And until the end of the war, desolation are determined. And this is what happened in the year of 70. Titus led the Roman uh, uh, soldiers against Jerusalem and utterly destroyed the city. Exactly 40 years after the crucifixion. And that, that obviously includes a series of desolation because they surrounded Jerusalem for many years, for three, three years, until they became... Jerusalem is a very fortified city. To destroy it, the best way is to surround it. So they surrounded the city for three years until like food became so expensive. People would eat the, yeah, the leftover from animals. And at the end, they destroyed the city completely and destroyed everybody completely. So I want you just to pay attention here because that's important. The angel Gabriel broke the time frame into three different pieces. Two of them are tied together. One of them is separate. How do we know that one of them is separate? Because he already told him that after the Messiah, he told him it takes 434 years until the Messiah comes, which is, we said about 30 after Christ. But then he started telling him events that will happen after that. He told him that Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Roman Empire and all these things. So after that, he's telling him also what's going to happen. Just a couple of events extra for Daniel. Okay? Okay. And now, in the next, next, next time, we will talk about what's going to happen in that last week, which is the last seven years before the Antichrist. So, then, the, so the angel told him two events will happen right after each other. 49 years from the decree that were sent to, for people to turn Jerusalem until Jerusalem is built, 434 from Jerusalem until the first coming of the Messiah. When the Messiah will come, he will be cut off, not for himself. It would appear like as if his service is worth nothing. And he, uh, and after, and after he died, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Wow. Wow. I hope you see, this is, this is how how accurate this is. This is 500 years before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells him that Jerusalem will be destroyed again. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ spoke about in Matthew 24 talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Destruction of Jerusalem. So we'll continue, uh, this, we'll continue this prophecy next week because I want to go through it one more time because I know it's a little bit complicated. But I just wanted to conclude with this thought. Is because Daniel was somebody who truly knew himself very well and knew he he was he was able to easily humble himself and able to easily love people around himself able able to get out of himself and this one man because of who he is he was greatly loved in heaven the heaven quickly responded to his request and they give him more divine secrets than he ever dreamt of and for us this is not a a matter of I want to get to know what's going to happen tomorrow or the prophecies but it teaches us how some people are so close to heaven and how amazing the word of God is that God can speak things with such a great certainty with exact timing of what will happen and it gives us even if people disagree about the definition of seven, seven years, seven days this guy spoke about return to Jerusalem spoke about the crucifixion of Christ the death of Christ spoke about that. He died and it seemed like he died for nothing. He spoke about that Jerusalem would be destroyed. But 600 years before all these things happen, It shows us how the word of God are so true. And we can see it in history. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.